But if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn to Revelation 6. But that, that really is sincere thanks. The gospel goes to the campus because the church is like y'all through the grace of Jesus. So, um, I've known uh, several uh, fr- uh, men who have had their uh, knee replaced, full knee replacement. And uh, it's interesting because they, they say the same thing that, you know, they go in because there's pain and the, the knee is almost gone. And so they get it replaced. I think it's with titanium. And so there is something stronger in their knee. There's something that is now healthier and better about them. And yet they've all told me the same thing, that those first, that first week or so after surgery, as they attempt to stand on the leg, it actually feels worse. It actually feels weaker. And the, and the physical therapist and the doctors are saying, trust us. There's something strong in your knee now. Your, your leg's getting used to it. Keep standing. It will be better. But it feels worse at first. And so I say that to give a picture that we have these experiences in our mind where we know that something good is happening, but it feels different than I thought. Maybe it even feels worse than I thought. Because as we look at Revelation 6, I think what... Um, what the Apostle John is seeing, who, is, who wrote Revelation and gets these vision, um, it is a kind revelation from Jesus about what this world is going to feel like as the kingdom comes. Because a constant question that the followers of Jesus struggle with, especially in the New Testament, is when is your kingdom going to come? When's it going to be manifest and what's that going to look and feel like? Because so often, I think if you walk with Jesus for any time, sometimes you look at your own life like me and you think, man, like really? Like I'm still struggling with this or my life looks like this? This can't be what it's supposed to feel like. Or you look at the world or, or even your city and you think, really? Like this messy and this broken and this much, much suffering? This is what the kingdom coming feels like? And Revelation 6, I think really is supposed to encourage us that in, the, in messy and sad times, it actually is proof positive that God's kingdom is coming, that it's broken in, uh, which again is, I think, different than we expected many times. So let me uh, read for us Revelation 6, starting in verse 1, uh, and then I'll pray for us. This is God's word. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth and so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete 
who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there's a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place, and then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains." calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, would you be our teacher? Uh, By your spirit, uh, would you open our eyes so that we can understand, so that we can see, and so that we can drink deeply of the word of God uh, and drink deeply of the word of God become flesh, uh, who is Jesus. Would you do that in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to look together uh, this missions conference at three things. Uh, What does the kingdom coming feel like? What is the kingdom coming strategy? And what is the kingdom coming uh, security that we're given? You could even say, right, wherever missions go, the kingdom is coming. So what are those, what's it feel like when, when missions is going and what's the strategy? So first, the kingdom coming feeling, verse one through eight, and bear with me, this is the longest point. We've got to be a little teachy. It's revelation, which takes a little background. But what in the world is going on here, right? In, in verse one, John, who's the writer of Revelation, He sees the lamb. If you look at Revelation 5, that is Jesus. He's the king of the universe and he opens the first of seven seals on this scroll. So it's like, what in the world is a scroll? Well, you see the scroll back in Revelation 5 and if you look back, you realize it's the plan of God that it's the plan of God for the world that he created and loves. So as the scroll begins to be opened and John starts seeing it, what you're seeing is, is uh, the sovereign plan of God enacted for world history. So the scroll and these seals, it, basically what's happening is, is the unfolding of world history is being shown from Jesus' ascension into heaven to his second coming. So the scroll describes what world history is going to look like until Jesus returns to make the new heavens and new earth his eternal home. And what do we see? What do we see that world history is going to be like? And what you see is what we now know as the four horsemen, right? The, the first seal breaks in verse one and two, and there appears to be a, a white horse, which is a symbol of uh, military victory. And the rider has a bow and crown, symbol of kings and nations conquering each other. And so the first scroll, it tells us that world history will be characterized by war and rumors of war. War, Jesus talks about this. So we should expect world history to be characterized by war. Second seal is open and a bright red horse appears, the symbol of blood. And the rider uh, takes peace from the earth. And so it is saying that we should expect world history to be characterized by violence, the shedding of blood. Then verse five and six, it's the third scroll open and the black horse comes out and its rider has scales, which serves as measurement uh, for food and money. It's really interesting because you get a picture of scarcity for the poor but, the, well, but the, um, the rich are unaffected, right? Because the bread and grain have become very costly, but the wine and the oil, which is for the rich, it's unaffected. So it's basically, what should we expect in world history? Suffer, suffering that comes from economic disparity. And then lastly, verse seven and eight, the fourth seal breaks and what's revealed is a pale horse, which is the color of illness. 
and you have a horse whose rider is named Death with Hades, the resting place of the dead, following. And so you get this vivid picture of death using all kinds of means, riding throughout history, using sword and famine and disease and animals to kill people and ravage the earth. So Revelation 6 holds out this vivid imagery of the four horsemen saying, here's what the world is going to be characterized from Jesus' ascension until he returns. It's going to be characterized, you ready, by suffering. Suffering from war, suffering from disease, suffering from greed, suffering from death. You don't have to have like a PhD in history to know that the four horsemen, we're not one day waiting for them. They've been riding for 2,000 years. I just, this morning, I woke up early to kind of look over this again, and I just got on the internet, and I went to, I think, NBC and looked at the headlines, and guess what? On the headlines, the four horsemen are riding. You saw the white horse, nations fighting nations, because it said there's an obscure conflict that's in Armenia that might be drawing Russia and Turkey into a war. You saw the red horse of violence, because there was a headline about domestic violence increasing in the, in the homes amidst the pandemic. You saw the black horse riding because it started talking about economic disparity coming from people losing their jobs amidst the pandemic. And then you saw the pale horse, illness and death was everywhere because COVID-19, this awful disease. And so this morning, the headlines bear the marks of of the four horsemen riding just like they did six months ago, just like they did 50 years ago, just like they did 500 years ago, and just like they will eight months from now until Jesus returns. And so I don't know how that hits you, but this is where I actually am like the disciples. Most of the time I'm not, but I usually, like I get to a Monday and I start imagining how my week is going to go and I just don't imagine suffering will be there. I don't imagine frustration will be there. I think following Jesus and his kingdom coming means it'll go exactly how I planned with no suffering and no hardship. And I get surprised. But Revelation 6, in Jesus' kindness, is saying, actually, I want to tell you what it's going to be like. Whether it's in your own life, whether it's in the state of Tennessee, whether it's the world, he's saying, I told you to expect this. I don't want to leave you in the dark. But this is the encouragement that I want to give you. According to this passage, why did the four horsemen ride? Why is there suffering in this world by poverty and violence and death? The encouragement is this, a lot of suffering is happening because Jesus is coming. The message of Revelation is not one day, someday Jesus is going to come. Yes, he will, I promise. But the message is actually he is on his way. That his kingdom has been breaking in for 2,000 years. And see, in chapter 4, when these these creatures cry out, come, who are they crying to and and what are they asking to come? And the answer is, you see them in chapter four, these creatures are actually symbolic of the whole world, the whole earth, God's created order. And they're joining the cry of revelation. What's the cry of revelation? The cry of revelation is, come Jesus, come. Heal this world, bring your kingdom, make things right, bring salvation. And so they join in the cry of everyone else and say, they look at the throne room and say, come. They are asking for Jesus to come. And as he's coming, bringing his kingdom of life and salvation and truth and freedom, the four horsemen ride because suffering and upheaval are happening. Again, we we have like pictures of this. If you think about World War II, it's really interesting because at one point, if you think about just France, 
France is overtaken by the enemy, by the bad guys, by the Germans, right? And so once the Germans overtake France, there's a real sense that things stabilized. Now, the enemy was occupying. It's not the way they wanted things, but things, there was peace in a real sense. However, on June 6, 1944, D-Day happens, right? The allies, the good guys show up and invade Normandy. Liberation begins. The new regime is here. But does France get better or worse immediately? It actually gets worse because upheaval happens. There starts being fighting again. There starts being death. There starts being suffering because the new regime, the regime of suffering, I mean, the regime of freedom and goodness is here, which creates an upheaval. So there are these scenarios that we know of, especially in war, because it involves kingdom and nations where when you, the regime that you want, the thing that you want, when it comes, it actually creates more upheaval because it's disrupting something. And see, if you put that framework on Revelation 6, this world that Jesus comes charging into 2,000 years ago as an infant and then dies on a cross and is resurrected, in John 14, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world because he has ravished this world in the kingdom of darkness that's characterized by violence and uh, greed and uh, corruption and darkness. But as Jesus comes plunging in and starts the liberation movement and starts his kingdom, guess what happens? Great upheaval. The four horsemen. Violence, ruin, poverty, suffering as the kingdom of peace and righteousness press in and expands. I want you to be encouraged by this because I feel most of us in the United States and especially Christians were so discouraged by the news and by politics and by how the world will be for my kids or my grandkids. But and there is some right concern about that. But, but what Jesus is saying is, look, my kingdom coming does not mean less disruption. It means more. It doesn't mean less suffering. It means more. If Jesus loves me, I keep thinking that means the suffering should go away. But he says, actually, if my kingdom is going to keep breaking in, it's going to disrupt things. And the four horsemen of, of world suffering are riding not because Jesus is losing, it's because he won. He won 2,000 years ago on a cross and by his resurrection. The reason the four horsemen are riding is not because missions is failing, it's because he's, it's working all over the world. Suffering is not because Jesus is distant, it's because he's pressing in. Jesus won the victory. D-Day has happened. And now Jesus' kingdom is expanding throughout the world. And so the kingdom of the world, the enemy regime, is in great upheaval and responding in full. But we know eventual feudal force with violence, disease, and death. That is the kingdom coming and how it's felt. I want that to encourage you that as he sees world history being unfolded and they cry, come Jesus, come, the four horsemen rise because our victorious king has already run, uh, won and he's pressing in. But it's going to feel different than we, than we kind of imagined. So the, what then is the, is the coming kingdom strategy? What's the strategy of missions? And in verse 9 through 11, you see this fifth, fifth seal is open and it reveals something startling. You see the souls of Jesus' people, the souls of Christians who have been martyred. They've been suffered and killed because they've been faithful to the word and have been bare witness. And they are killed amidst the upheaval of world history of the four horsemen riding. 
And what do they cry out? The souls in heaven right now, what are they doing right now? They're actually crying out for something. They're crying out for justice. They are saying, come quickly. How much longer does evil and suffering and injustice and sex trafficking and disease, how much longer does that have to be in this world? They're saying, come out, come, come Jesus and judge the world and right every wrong. Bring about the new heavens and new earth. They're joining the cry of, of, of the creatures in Revelation 4. See, world history is characterized by, yes, creation itself groaning, which is what Romans 8 tells us, but by also Christians crying out and praying, Jesus, come. Come make sense of this world. Come make sense of, this, of the confusion and the suffering that I see. And Jesus is coming. That's what Revelation 6 shows you. It's amazing. Jesus is responding to the groans of creation and especially the cries of his people praying and crying out, which means the unseen force behind missions and behind the kingdom coming, you know what it is? It's prayer. It's crying out to the Lord. Uh, the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, um, one time a reporter showed up at his church to kind of ask him what the key was for this mass movement that was happening. And he just called that reporter back uh, to, to back part of his building and walked him down to the church boiler room and he opened the door. And when he opened the door, there were about 30 men and women on their knees praying for the Sunday service. And he said, that's the key. That the unseen force behind this great evangelistic kingdom movement uh, through Spurgeon, he said, it's actually unseen. It's these people praying. I see this on the college campus all the time. I feel like I get to be on the front lines, which is really, really fun for me. I think God called me to the college campus because my, my faith is so weak that unless I see God doing things visibly, I just I have trouble uh, trusting him anymore. But I think one of the reasons that God works in such kind of quick ways in college I've actually had a parent tell me this. It, she said, you know, once we send our kid off to college, all we can do is pray. And we pray a lot. Yeah. And the kingdom is coming. And these students' lives are being changed because this unseen force of parent and friend and grandparents' prayer, Jesus responds to those cries. And I need to be reminded of that. And I think you need to be reminded of that because sometimes when I pray, it just feels like words are just kind of going up there and disappearing. And I don't know who I'm talking to. But Revelation 6 says your words are not just disappearing, they're being heard by the king on the throne and he is responding. It's the pulsing force behind everything. And so grace of Anne, like elders, pray. Pray for your congregation. Pray for the kingdom to come in Memphis and in Collierville and around the world. He is responding. Pray for the neighborhoods around this church that they will be reached. Pray for people that are hurting, hurting. And will there be suffering? Will there be pushback? Will there be hardship? Yes. But it's because he is responding. Because he hears you. But secondly, if, if, if the first kind of strategy is prayer, what's the other thing that Christians are doing? How does the kingdom keep breaking in? Well, the Christians have suffered. They are, they are there under the altar because they have been martyred for their faith, because they've been faithful to the word of God, and they bore witness to it. And really, if you read Revelation, the message of Revelation, at least in 6, and again, Revelation's a picture book, so there's a lot of different perspectives, but here, Revelation 6 is saying this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're in one of two categories. You either have suffered or you will suffer. That's it. And I hear that, and I'm like, can you give me a different strategy? 
like, uh, you know, <laughs> something else that feels more strong that, you know, will work better. And that, but he says, no, that like more suffering is going to happen because as my people suffer, the kingdom is breaking in. Which means if you're a Christian this morning, our world, our, our, our role to bring missions is to pray, to be faithful to the word of God, and to suffer. And again, I, I watched um, most of the video that's on uh, the Grace of Van uh, website, that y'all's Missions Week. Uh, I wanted to get a taste of what y'all are doing. And the, the one dispatches uh, on the front lines, like it's amazing. You should go watch this. But it highlights this, a lot of stuff going on. But one of them is this pastor in Ethiopia. And he tells his story because he was fighting in the Ethiopian war. And he, um, and he ends up fleeing. And, he, and I think he made it to Syria. And he's in a refugee camp just covered in filth. And he's been there for months. And he said, all of a sudden, for the first time, there was somebody who listened to me, who didn't run away from my dirtiness, and it was a pastor. So in other words, the pastor came into the refugee camp, suffered with them, and he gets converted. He's back in Ethiopia. And that's how the kingdom goes. When the church suffers, Tertullian said this a long time, that the, um, that the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. And when the, when the church holds faithful to, to God's word and suffers with people and absorbs it, his kingdom is coming. And actually, when we avoid it, and there are times in history that we have, like the you know, civil rights movement, I mean, it's complicated, but some of what happened is the conservative church did not suffer with those that were being oppressed. And it really hurt us. But as we suffer and as we cling to God's word, he's saying my kingdom is coming, which means if you're a believer this morning in Jesus' kingdom, the way that Jesus is going to keep pressing into your family and into Collierville and around the world, it is not going to first and foremost, I mean first and foremost because God uses these things, but it's not going to be just by getting the right person in political office. It's not going to be getting the right legislation passed or, or power plays or manipulation. It's going to be as you suffer. And as you pray, as you walk into relationships with people ready to suffer, it'll, it'll, it'll come as you build relationships with people that you're actually going to have to forgive a lot and they're going to forgive you. It'll involve weeping and crying with people who have illness and death. It will be, again, I know this is post-COVID, but like when you have people into your home, when you build relationships with people that make others uncomfortable and say like, why would you be friends with them? Like suffering is going to come and Jesus is at work. And that means the way that, that the kingdom comes into our family, and I, I'm a parent of, of at least younger kids, and again, this isn't everything, but it'll be through absorbing pain and suffering and serving. And I, like, I, it'll involve loss, loss of time, loss of money, loss of comfort, which means our calling to our kids is not to necessarily keep them from all suffering and sadness, which is just what I want to do. But it means being faithful as a parent is that we actually teach them how to be sad and to suffer. It's not the only thing, but it's going to be what the kingdom looks like. And it's just hard. It's just hard to believe that that's the way that mission works. But it's all over the Bible. Romans 8, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So the strategy that God gives for this kingdom coming in it's prayer, it's faithfulness to the word of God, and it's suffering. And let's just be honest, that looks so weak. It doesn't feel like it'll work. It looks weak to the world, but exactly. It's what makes Christ look strong, because he is. 
It's what, it's what shows forth his power and his grace. Which brings me to the last thing. This is the security that, that, that the incoming kingdom brings. This is the only place you'll find security. The seal six, right, verse 12 through 17, in my opinion, these are the only verses that are looking ahead to one day, someday. And, and verses 12 through seven, the sixth seal describes when Jesus comes back and cleanses this world of sin and judges the world and brings the new heavens and new earth that all of creation is upheaval, it comes into complete upheaval and he restores and brings about uh, the new heavens and new earth. It's, it's the great day of wrath as he cleanses the world. And what you see in verse 17 is who can stand? Who can withstand the great day of wrath from the lamb? That's the question. As we live in a suffering world, crying for Jesus to come to end all suffering and sin, how do we do that and not fear the, the day that Jesus comes to judge it all? Because at some point, we've got to have the humility to say, like, if I'm begging the Lord to come and to bring the kingdom of liberation and goodness and truth to end all sin, how can I, add, how can I ask him to do that and not fear it because... I realize I'm part of the problem. Like I'm one of the ones that inflicts suffering. I'm one of the ones who struggles with greed. So if he's gonna come and judge and cleanse the world of all that, how can I ask him to do that and not fear that he's coming? Man, and here's the good news. When it asks who can stand for the wrath of the lamb, do you know how chapter seven begins? It's a group of people that are standing and they've been sealed on their foreheads. And it's actually the same people in seal, in, uh, in seal five who are under the altar. It's the people of God. How can they stand on the day that Jesus comes back to judge? Is it because they were like morally better people? Is it because they had like good cultural instincts and kind of knew how to navigate it? No, it's because they're under the altar. See, the altar, if you go back to the Old Testament, it's the place of sacrifice. It's the place of judgment. That what happened is a, a, a sheep or a goat would come and I'd place my hand on it. I would confess my sins. And then that sheep would go to the altar and would be slaughtered. It in my place. It judged uh, in my place. Which we know is pointing forward to when John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Revelation 6 is saying, by faith, get under the altar. The only safe place from the Lamb's wrath is to, go into, is to go under the place that has already been judged, that the wrath of God has already come. Where has the wrath of God already scorched the earth? 2,000 years ago on a cross, right? I went to, again, I was at Mississippi State for eight years and there was a lot of wildlife and fisheries majors and so some of, some of those students would talk to me about learning how to do controlled burns. You know what a controlled burn is? It's where if there, one way to keep a wildfire from spreading is you burn a large strip of land. Because if the fire comes up to land, to grass that's already been burned, it has nowhere to go. It can't burn it again. And see, where the wrath of God has already burned was it scorched 2,000 years ago, a Jewish, naked Jewish carpenter hanging on a cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The God man. He on the cross takes the fullness of the seal six wrath on himself. And if by faith you get in him, you trust him, not because I'm good, but by his sheer grace, there is no wrath left for you. It's scorched Jesus. You're safe. If you take cover in him, then as God comes back and he purges the world of all evil and he judges it, there'll be none left for you because you're wearing a robe of 
white righteousness that was Jesus' perfection graciously handed to you. And that means that whatever suffering is going on in your life, you know it can't be. It can't be because God is angry at you. It can't be because he's taking his wrath on you. He took it out on Jesus. It must be that his kingdom is coming and he's still for you. And I don't exactly know exactly how that looks and feels, but he's for you. And that security enables you to pray, to suffer and to long for the suffering to end, but without fear. Not fear of death, not fear of illness, not fear of the wrath of God, not fear of the four horsemen because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus because it's all of grace. So I'll, I'll just end with this. Um, probably Dr. Young talks about the Reformation sometimes, I bet, uh, knowing how smart he is. And, uh, you know, it makes me point to Martin Luther as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, which is true. Uh, but 100 years before him, there's a guy named John Huss. And John Huss had been, same thing, praying, proclaiming the gospel and willing to suffer. And he was arrested. Uh, and he's going to be burned at the stake for speaking out against some abuses of the medieval Catholic Church. And shortly before his death, here's what he utters. He says, you may roast this goose, talking about himself, but a hundred years from now a swan will arise whose singing you'll not be able to silence. And Huss is martyred. And then for the next hundred years, people continue to pray, people continue to suffer, people continue to uh, hold fast to the word of God. And almost to the T, almost a hundred years later, a swan arises by the name of Martin Luther, who ignites the Protestant Reformation who continues to pray for the kingdom to come, who continues to hold faithful to the word of God, who continues to suffer so much so that then centuries later, there's a church in Collierville named Grace of Anne that gets, that gets planted, that starts crying out, come Jesus, come, and longs for the kingdom to come all over the world. And it prays, and it prays, and it holds fast to the word of God, and it suffers. And guess what? The kingdom is spreading, and, it, and it's gonna continue. The gates of hell will not stand against the church. We are not fighting to win. Jesus is one. We fight with weak weapons because Jesus is one. It's the way his kingdom is going to expand. And it's changing hearts and lives in Palestine and Africa and across Asia and all over the world. But the call is still the same. The four horsemen are riding today. The kingdom is coming. Keep praying, keep suffering, keep believing the promise. The reason your neighborhood, the reason your family, the reason this world is full of suffering is actually because Jesus loves you. And he is coming. He is coming. And the reason that he did not end all suffering a hundred years ago, the reason he didn't come back a hundred years ago, do you know why? He says in, in, in seal five, because I don't have all my people with me. If he came 100 years ago, you wouldn't have been his. And so what's holding him back is he doesn't have all of his bride with him yet. And he's saying just a little bit longer, keep praying, keep suffering, keep holding fast. The moment I get my last person, I will come back. And I'll purge the world of all evil. And I'll bring a new heavens and new earth and I'll dwell with my bride forever. But you can trust him. He's good. He's a God of grace, and he's for you in Christ. Do you know him? That's an invitation. Let me pray. Father, um, man, would you for the first time or for the thousandth time call us to be under the altar and to see the good news that Jesus was scorched in our place so that we can be a part, um, like Jim said, of the mission of God. So would you help us? Uh, I'm so thankful that even weak faith 
is covered under the altar. Should you help us even with weak faith to pray, uh, to suffer, to stay faithful, and give you all the glory as your kingdom comes. In Jesus' name, amen.